How we doing? How we doing, people? Welcome to episode number four of the Artist of Motion podcast. I caught up with my old buddy, A.C. Wiley, while he was out in Hawaii for an assignment as part of his gig in our U.S. military. He's been kind of hard to pin down because he's been all over the USA map in the last couple of months, but we got it done. Had a great chat with him about all kinds of aspects of the martial arts, including who's on his personal Mount Rushmore of the martial arts. He's a solid dude with some really helpful information to share, so let's get to it. All righty, welcome to our show today, sir. Uh, I'm going to introduce this gentleman who's on the, on the line with me here. I met him many years ago. We've been friends basically since the first time we hung out, which I think lasted until about 4.30 a.m. that day. He goes by many names, but mm. never late for drinks. He's a veteran of our U.S. military. He's a martial artist in several different disciplines. His given name is Christopher. I call him A.C. Everybody else, yeah, well, there's a whole bunch of different names we call him. So Christopher A.C. Wiley is on the line with us today. Welcome, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to be here. So where are you at today? Because you've been all over the place lately. You were teaching seminars, and you had a bunch of other stuff going on. Where are you currently at? That's a great question. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, the sign of the hotel says Halikoa, so I believe I'm in Hawaii. And the last time I talked to you, I think you were in Missouri. Um, no, no, Nebraska. But, oh, no, uh, Nebraska, yes. I, I haven't been, I don't remember being in Missouri recently. doesn't mean I haven't been there. But, uh, yeah, it was Nebraska a few weeks ago, uh, Hawaii this week, and then I go back home for hopefully the holidays, and I shouldn't be going anywhere anytime for the foreseeable future, which I don't see that very far, so. So what are you doing in Hawaii? Well, uh, I'm out here for a planning conference. Uh, I'm active duty military. I'm uh, working for one of the major commands. And there's a, what we call a tier one exercise that ties in a whole bunch of different uh, major commands, Pacific Command, uh, United States Strategic Command, used to be Strategic Air Command. Um, it involves even like the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, his people, uh, probably not him directly. But it's just working through uh, situations as we would get after, say, if there was some scenario that required you know, all these people with a bunch of stars on their collar to you know, make some plans and make some things happen, got to you know, rehearse it. So this is one of those things. We're out here actually planning the exercise. I've been participating in just putting it together. Sounds like you're going to have a lot of fun out there regardless. You're out in paradise, so can't be at all bad, right? Uh, it was rainy the first couple of days, and quite frankly, the rain here is even a lot better than on the mainland. It's... Uh, it can be rainy, it can be you know, monsooning, and you're right, it's still paradise. Yeah, hashtag, you know, Hawaii in November. Just jealous over here, so. It, it's a rough life, it really is. <laughs> so we record this here in November of 2017. A couple of other things happened in the last two months uh, that I'm going to bring up because they're martial arts related. So uh, you taught a seminar at, uh, I believe it was George Elmer's Camp of the Masters, right? Uh, yes, I did, yeah. He uh, invited me to do that. I gave me a phone call back in... Uh, it was probably June or so, and asked for, uh, if I wanted to be there since I, I live in Maryland right now, and that's a lot closer than I've been. He's based out of New Jersey, uh, a lot closer than I've been for many, many years, and it was the first time I'd actually been given the opportunity to uh, teach at a you know, bigger seminar like that. So I, in trying to keep my fanboy you know, in, I graciously accepted. Uh, However, when I hung up the phone, I think I did some kind of a happy dance and ran in and told the wife, and I was very, very excited to have that opportunity. And uh, it, it was a fantastic time. I was there. I had the opportunity to teach alongside some of the uh, some of the best martial artists on the East Coast, uh, and to learn a. It, it was a, as you, anybody who teaches martial arts know, you learn more from students, and fortunately, a lot of the students here are masters of their own respective martial arts. So it was sharing on the level, and it was it was just a phenomenal experience. Yeah, everybody I've talked to that uh, had anything to do with that seminar said uh, they had a blast, and uh, several of them have actually commented on how good your your particular seminar was. So I'm looking forward to seeing the video, which I know is you know I know you're working on too, right? Uh, yes, sir. Yep, uh, putting together a little bit more structured. That was yeah, it was a first time, first run, kind of going through a particular uh, particular set of things. Yeah. I don't know if you want me to get into yeah exactly what that is as a spoiler or uh, hashtag plug your stuff, bro. Basically, okay. So, uh, so the IKCA you know, Kempo system that we do has 55 techniques. Um, other systems, uh, more traditional ones, have 154, and it's technique being a sequence, kind of a. I look at it as a sentence or a conversation in between 
somebody who's asking a question. That question just happens to be throwing a punch, maybe, and uh, answering the question, which is the sequence of moves, technique. Some of them have names. A lot of them, uh, depending on the system, don't. Um, however, most people tend to focus so much on learning the sequence that they just repeat the sequence. And if something happens to interrupt the uh, conversation, as it were, they lose their place or they get completely froze up because there's lack the ability to uh, to improvise. So one of the things that I work on a lot and uh, continue to develop, and this was uh, an opportunity we did this at that seminar, was take this particular sequence and then do it with uh, you know, the old timers used to call you know, eight ways to Sunday. Flip it up upside down, do it inside, outside, left, right. Just do it so many different ways, but it's the same movement pattern. Not only ingrains that particular uh, particular response, but it shows you how much you can apply that to so many different uh, opportunities. And uh, we talked a little bit a little bit about how that particular sequence might tie into you know, butt up against another one, and you can move right into it. You know, we call that blending, borrowing, and combining. Uh, other organizations call it grafting. It's all the same stuff. You mentioned the IKCA. That leads me into my uh, curriculum vitae piece. So. I'm not going to give them your history. I'm going to let you tell us about your history. So what, where, who you are, where you're at, all that fun stuff. Okay. Uh, so I started life as a poor black oh, No, that's, that's the jerk, Steve Martin. Sorry. Um, so started my martial arts life back uh, his first Tuesday in March 1994. I will fast forward through a lot of this. Um, walked into karate school, and my first instructor, Fred Vincent, looked at me and talked to my parents, and he said, this kid's never going to you know, make it past the first week. All he ever did is just play, you know, play bass drum in the marching band. This kid's a wuss. To prove him wrong, at the end of that practice, I ended up throwing up because I was so out of shape. I came back on Thursday and Saturday and kept on going, kept on going. And then uh, August of 2000, I think it was, uh, tested for my first degree black belt under Fred. Uh, eventually, uh, he promoted the years, promoted me to a uh, to fifth degree and uh, gave me the title of Shihan, or master. During those five years, I had also went on active duty with the Army um, as an officer, finished college, uh, became a helicopter pilot, and place I went, I would find some place to teach or some place to learn. Uh, in Alabama, I had the opportunity to meet up with a guy named Jimmy Cole. He's one of the longest-running uh, Taekwondo instructors in the Dothan and uh, Prize region in Wiregrass of Alabama. Fantastic instructor. Still got a school there. Good friend of mine. Uh, I just wanted to work on my kicks. In there, we hit it off, and I ended up going through the curriculum so that I could yeah, have some kind of sway school and when I helped teach the students there was something yeah it wasn't just somebody from the outside teaching so I earned black belt in taekwondo there that's two for anybody who's counting uh moved to Tennessee and found a school a traditional kind of shotokan base but it's called jujika jujitsu there's a lot a uh, lot of joint locks and throws um under a man named Kellett uh started studying there since my original system was heavy Shotokan, the forms were very, very familiar to me. I learned them in a, a different way. I think, yeah, probably a bit closer to traditional Japanese uh, forms. Ended up teaching there. Uh, ended up earning a third degree black there and a, uh, a Menkyo for up to, uh, I was authorized to promote people up to second degree black belt in that system. Three. Around that time as well, I had uh, been introduced to the IKCA Chinese Kenpo curriculum uh, a few years back. I bought the videos, and I was in the mood to just collect it because now a yeah, flashback. I wanted to collect techniques. I just wanted to this and go, ah, I can learn that. I watched the IKCA videos, and I just took notes like, hmm, I like that, don't like that, don't like that, don't like that, like that. And then I, uh, I put the videos away. When I went to Iraq the first time, which was – I was in Tennessee, so kind of we're tying the timelines together here. Uh, 
I just happened to be at a internet cafe doing some some research on you know, whatever because I paid you know, $25 for an hour, so I figured I'd use it and looked up Kenpo again. IKC popped up, and uh, I, I, I got those videos, whatever, but I actually read the site, and I read where it was coming from. I read the process, what it would take to, you know, for the testing. I actually paid attention this time. And something clicked. I, I don't know what it was, but something grabbed me. And I figured, you know what? When I get home, I'll go ahead and give this a try. I, I'll, I'll take that orange belt test. We'll, we'll see what happens. So I'm going to go ahead and send in that orange belt test. And if uh, if I get back to BS that I'm expecting, then I can you know, not worry about it. I spent some money on the VHS tapes at the time. It's not a problem. So uh, I go off Joint Readiness Training Center, JRT, JRTC, with the uh, with my unit at the time. Uh, that's important. I'll explain why in a bit. Um, and one night I get a phone call from the wife uh, and she says, Oh, package showed up. Uh, it's from IKCA and, and looks like uh, I had told her to open it. She's oh, it's got a belt in it and uh, a video must've passed. Uh, so I found out that I passed my orange belt test, my first IKCA test while I was away from home. I had to wait till I got home to actually get the video, uh, watch the video. And when I watched, uh, it was Jerry Brookshire who was grading my video, uh, grading my test. And he was talking through and the level of detail that was provided in the corrections of just my very basics. Now at this point I had already been, uh, training in karate for, uh, probably 10 or 12 years or so, uh, somewhere in there. And so I knew what I was doing or so I thought, the level of detail, uh, hey, from your video, so you looked great, but you need to you know, drop your stance about yeah, six or seven inches. You're gonna, this is where you're going to want to be. You notice that your right foot is off, is not parallel to your left foot. It's kind of, can't, you know, fuck, we need to have those perfect, that level of detail for every single basic that we did. That was intoxicating. That was amazing. They were able, we had people in this association that would go to that level of depth correction on a video thing so that told me there was something more to it so i kept on going ended up uh second second test i sent in while i was uh sent in while i was home sent that in for purple uh, got word about that while i was off training again uh and then ended up deploying uh probably the second time found some people to teach i had a karate school not uh, in Balad, Iraq. It was uh, Balad West Recreational Center. I happened to be lucky enough to have one of those uh, 12-hour-a-day jobs and nothing else to do and was not getting shot at all that much, which was kind of cool. Um, but I had, as I was running, I had a little school going. also had people to work with and train with. So I uh, trained them up to blue belt level for with what I knew, and I took my blue belt test. And found out that I passed my blue belt test while I was deployed. And that was awesome. Um, and then you know, we redeployed and then I moved and I didn't have anybody to train with. So I just kept on practicing what I had. Uh, eventually moved up to New York State where I found uh, Andrew Croniser. Uh, he was working through his certification for instructors. Uh, so I then went from being strictly video to working with him. He had promoted somebody to blue, but our program needs, yeah, you need to have somebody at each level. And I needed somebody to take me to green. He needed to take somebody, excuse me, to green. So it was a perfect match. And next couple of years, uh, over the next year or so, uh, trained up and I ended up testing for, uh, testing for a black belt under Andrew Croniser. And because of the bylaws, how they're written and my performance in previous tests, my rank was recognized up to a third degree black belt. That one I actually got while I was home. And then fourth degree tested in California and passed. I was away from home. Yeah, I was there and I saw that one actually. You were. That uh, in person, it was me and uh, a brother from Denmark, uh, Klaus. A couple of other people at the same time, yeah. He and I tested for, tested for fourth at the same time. Uh, and then other people tested for other things. That was that was after having some you know, some health complications, uh, and that's the weekend that uh, you and I met. Took my fifth at home. Took my 
uh, tested for sixth eventually and found out that I passed sixth while I was on a TDY trip to Colorado and then working through the, I was working through the certified instructor program with my own student, Omari, found out that he passed uh, his test while I was on a TDY trip meant that uh, by the bylaws, I was therefore promoted to seventh degree. So all but four, all but three of my promotions from orange belt to seventh degree black belt have been while I was not at my house. That's funny. <laughs> every, every single one of all of those, except for uh, green, brown, third, and fifth, were... Out on a deployment or out somewhere? Were uh, away from home. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to think of how many different places you've lived in since we've known each other and coming up with like 10 or 12 just off the top of my head. Oh, I've, I've been a few places. Military life. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your service. Uh, it, it is my privilege. It's my privilege. So that's four black belts, if I'm counting correctly. I, I think I would say yes. I, I have earned four. I... Of various I levels. Taekwondo when, I, I claim Taekwondo when I'm telling the stories, but I don't, uh, if I had to have a discussion about it, because I honestly don't remember those, I don't remember any of the forms or any of the particular requirements. They'd come back quickly, but I'm, I would say I am not a black belt in Taekwondo level anymore. That's fair. That's, I, yeah, you know, it's like, the, it's the same principle as, you know, Somebody was a brain surgeon, then they lay off for 10 years. You know, I'm, I'm really not 100% sure I want you operating on my brain if you haven't done anything for 10 years. You know what I mean? I, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely. Sure I my light bulb. Yeah, you know, absolutely you respect the fact that you earned it. And you were, even if you were the top brain surgeon in your day, 10 years later, if you haven't touched a brain since then, respectfully, you know, get, uh, can I see who your understudy was and talk to him? Zach Tackley. You know, so, is what it is. So, yes. I think we've pretty well covered your CV now, haven't we? Oh, I sure hope so. I, I mean, unless, unless we want to talk about your academic degrees, because we can go there as well. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be shorter about that. I, uh, I have a bachelor's degree in broadcast journalism. Uh, I got paid for talking. And because I was studying broadcast journalism, naturally, I got my commission as an aviation officer. Um, yeah, how does that work again? Even, it doesn't. Not very well. Um, I I just wanted to fly. It was the hardest thing that I could choose, so I chose it and I got it. A um, couple of years, many years later, it took me a while to finish my master's. I have a master's in organizational leadership, and right now I'm working on my PhD in business management from Capella University with emphasis in leadership. And I'm about a a year and a quarter into my coursework. I got another uh, yeah about another four quarters left of coursework, then take comps and then start doing the actual uh, research. How you find time to pull off everything you've done is just amazing. There, I sleep five hours a night. <laughs> not yeah, in a row, that, right? Yeah, not in a row though. So. so obviously, academics is important to you. So let me jump into some of our uh, our handy dandy questions that somebody who is on the other end of this phone, you know, wrote half of them. So <laughs> <laughs> I was on coffee and sleepy, so I don't remember any of them. Oh, excellent! So let's just jump into the academic one first, then. So what book has Influenced you the most in your journey through the martial arts? Um, oh, so there's two of them uh, I could point to. One is Living the Martial Way. Um, and I'm, if I was in my office, I could actually pull it up and tell you who wrote it, but it's Living the Martial Way. It's a fantastic, it's almost a textbook style that talks about the different aspects of both training and living mental, spiritual, physical, and Approaching life as a warrior. ETS um, says it's a book by Forrest Morgan. Does that sound right? Forrest Morgan. That's right. He was a lieutenant colonel, if I recall correctly, an Air Force lieutenant colonel. Um, so he knew about living a, a warrior life and a tank sudo, uh, a senior ranking belt in tank sudo. But the the book is, I've given that book several uh, to several folks as a gift on their black belt, uh, passing their black belt, because uh, it's that important to me, I think it's, it is very, very influential. The other one is uh, Shotokan Secret. Uh, it, <clears throat> again, name, eh, name escapes me, but I'm going to ask you to look that up too. Shotokan Secret. Uh, it talks about 
the development of Shotokan from uh, the Cherie Castle is the art of the uh, bodyguards in uh, Bodyguards in Okinawa, and how a lot of the forms that are taught in Shotokan actually come from the training drills of that. As a, a person who's devoted his life to you know, the protection of other people, that I found that to be particularly uh, particularly useful, both historically and applicable for you know, physical arts, and gave us a little bit more context to the stuff that we do. You know, if you're doing a traditional art that has kata, most likely, it's not just a dance. There's, and Kenpo's helped me figure that out, too. Agreed. Okay, so Shotokan Secret, Hidden Behind Karate's Fighting Origin by Bruce Clayton. That's the one. So what do you think is the biggest lesson pulled out of this? Why they need so much? Well, the, uh, so the live in the martial way, uh, the fact that he laid out a format of X, Y, Z, and then here's this. Here's this aspect of that. Here's this aspect of that. Here's, and broke it down, made it very easy to understand, and actually influenced my approach to, uh, to writing, my approach to even teaching. And the other piece in that was that it uh, talked about uh, how to apply those things that I learned under Fred Vincent in daily life, not just, uh, not just on the floor. Um, there's some people that do karate, and then on Thursdays they do bowling, and on you know Sundays they do choir and watch football. There's other people who, and quite frankly, if if that is that meets their needs, then fantastic. I'm happy for them. There's other people uh, like me. I can speak for, and I'm sure I can say you that it is more than just thing we do. It uh, it is one of the defining factors of our personality of our life. Yeah, thank and, God both of us have wives that are. Incredible, incredibly strong, independent women that let us do things that we love to do. Blessed beyond measure. <laughs> so you've mentioned... And of course, the, I was going to say, that you asked, and then the other one, the Shotokan secret, the biggest lesson taken from that is the thing that we you know, all instinctually know and we're told, hey, this comes from somewhere. It, you know, Stuff didn't just fall out of the sky, you know, even though you know, I may have learned my stuff talking to a, uh, talking to a stone... Uh, a stone sculpted dragon, and it gave me the secrets. It's possible that I actually had some mushrooms on my pizza. <laughs> I'm totally gonna have to take out my laughter on this one because I couldn't help it. <clears throat> yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> mushrooms on the pizza. Yes, that's awesome. Ah, <laughs> uh, you totally threw my train of thought off with that one. That was that was great. <laughs> Props to you, sir. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> So both of those books made a big impact for you. Yes, sir. And literally have, have influenced the course of what you're doing and how you're choosing to teach. So I'm going to go ahead and include both of those books. When we post this podcast up, they're going to be in the comments. I'm going to have links for them for you. So bravo. Oh, fantastic. All right. So we talked a little bit about what your philosophy is while teaching. Uh, this is kind of a uh, off-the-wall question. So uh, we've talked a little bit about your background you know, in our personal conversation. Uh, for from your traditional martial arts background, in some traditional martial arts, there's a distinction drawn between the terms instructor and teacher. Uh, what, if any, distinction do you feel these terms? Ooh, that's a good one. So, to me, uh, instructor is a job. Um, I can uh, I can instruct somebody in how to do a process. It imparts information. Um, and it's it's an important function, but instructor is only one of the functions of a teacher. You can instruct somebody and they can fail to learn, but they've only learned if you've taught them. Instructing is all based off of me. I can instruct you, you can fail to learn. However, teaching is reciprocal. It's a relationship. So I have instructed people and I have had the opportunity to be some people's teacher. And the relationship is the difference, I'd say. Well said. Uh, I, I never asked you that question before, and it, I, when I wrote it down the other day, I went, I'm definitely going to have this one for AC. That's a really good one. I may, I may use that you know, in conversation. Have at it. 
So then the, the dovetail question off of that one is, so what do you perceive as the difference in a person's character, what it takes to be a student, an instructor, and a teacher? Uh, well. And nothing like the softball question, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The character difference between a teacher and an instructor, it, it again comes back to the relationship. I can instruct you in, uh, in the Ten Commandments. I can instruct you what the words say, and I can instruct you they mean in yeah, in the ancient, in the original Hebrew, uh, in what the tr- what the translation was. I can instruct you in the history there, but if I instruct you in that, and then you then see me breaking all of them, I have because of our relationship, I have taught you that they're meaningless. Whereas if I teach you how to treat other people i can i can tell you how to treat people and if i then treat people the way that i tell you how to treat people then that speaks for my character as well so um you don't need character to be an instructor you absolutely need character to be a teacher being then as it ties to the student you don't need character to be a student you need character to be my student I like that. I, I have to be sure that what you're going to do you know, when I'm not watching you is going to represent who your teacher is. So what do you want your students to say about their teacher? Ouch. <laughs> no, that, that's what Mr. Sullivan's students say about it. <laughs> yeah, yes. A, a man grabs like a bear. Um, no, uh, I want them... I want them to say that I would, if I, I want Omari, my, uh, I just made black belt, and Kenny, my uh, green belt student right now, if asked without me there, uh, and without anybody, you know, telling him that I would get the word, I would like them to say, I want to move like him, to which I would probably correct them and say, I don't want, you know, I don't want you to move like me, I want you to move like a better you, but yeah, either that or I want to make him look good because I want to make my instructors look good. Uh, I want to make them proud. Again, relationship. What do you think is necessary for a student successful in their martial arts training? Um, you, you've done it in several different places, several you know, disparate arts. It, it's more like you know, what advice do you give others motivated that they can do that kind of stuff too? So my, uh, it comes back to a little symbol that's on my original, uh, on Fred's original patch that uh, we wore you know, in training with him that he actually got from his instructor. Um, there's a, a series of a red, black, or a black, red, and black diamond uh, at the top of the top of the seal. And that stands for what I would say is those three things that you need to be successful in your martial arts journey. Honor, courage, and perseverance. Um, without those, it doesn't matter how good you are. You will never be able. You'll never be in a position that you will use it. And if you are, you will not use it you know, in the manner in which you were taught. Um, with honor, courage, and perseverance, you can make baseball great. You can make golf great. You can make picking up trash you know, awesome. Without it, all it is is just hitting a, you know, hitting a ball with a stick and you know, picking up gum wrappers. Yeah, you know, everybody I've talked to so far has the same comments. It's about perseverance and commitment. If you don't yeah. have those two, you're not going to be successful in just about anything you try to do. Bottom line. Nope. So on that note, uh, the, you know, across the entire martial arts industry, there's an average dropout rate of about 50 per level. So uh, our shared history is the IKCA. So the IKCA rank structure is white, yellow, orange, purple, blue, green, brown, and first degree black belt. So if you take that 50% ratio, it's about one in 190 people that start that make black belt at that ratio. So that's one out of 190. That's 0.005% of the people who start make black. That's wild. That's crazy, isn't it? It is. It is. And that's uh, so that's 
it's a Facebook meme I've seen, but it's absolutely true. Yeah. When asked, how long does it take the average person to make black belt? Average That's an easy answer. Make black belt. Exactly. Uh, interestingly enough, within our IKCA family tree, I don't have the exact numbers memorized or in front of me, but uh, of the of the people that we have on that tree that are first degree black belts, it's, it's an amazing accomplishment. There's less than a third of that number that even went that uh, even went on to get a second degree or further. Yeah, so those numbers drop off real quick. Oh yeah, it's a long time, uh, I, a long time, and a lot of dedication to get there. But yeah, I mean, I, you, I can, you can see the numbers drop off. I mean, out of six hundred and thirty some odd black belts, I mean, the, the numbers just I mean, they, they stagger, drop every level. But that's across the whole industry, and you know, imagine how many yeah. people have actually come through some level and didn't continue at some point. So, I mean, I, I can tell you in, in my in my personal school. Uh, I think I've enrolled, I want to say the last time I looked at it was 86 people. I have five people that have earned their black belts with another one that's on target for probably Q1 next year, but six out of 86. Uh, I've got a few more in the pipeline that are in various levels, but they're not you know, not near the black belt level. But, you know, uh, that 50% that ratio is pretty hard to beat. Um, the cool part with my school is that I lose, you know, people off the first level, and then pretty much everybody who stays through the first level stays through everything else. <laughs> Yeah, but you you have a fantastic group of uh, group of guys working with you. You've got you know awesome students, except for Adam. I hate him. Yeah, I, I won't um, tell him you said that. <laughs> no, I'll tell Adam. I just won't tell everybody uh, else. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, and I I have to wonder for for us for our system for uh, any other system if it's because we put too much emphasis on. Being yeah, on black belt, yeah, that it's become ah, that's the goal. And once people reach their goal, they go for the next goal, uh, as opposed to uh, still really tying themselves into it is part of your life. It is part of you know who makes you what yeah you know, what you are. And some of it might even be that uh, like for us, there is no really new material after first degree black belt, and it's entirely on the instructor to. Uh, have some kind of program to uh, continue you know, motivating uh, motivating the students because the the very few are going to continue to go on to become certified instructors, uh, which I'm very very proud to have you know, finally accomplished that. Congratulations, um, sir! I know that one means a lot to you. It really does. It really does. Uh, and it's it's one of those things that you have to you have to push it yourself because there's you know, there's no you know, no pulling it through. Uh, I'd imagine at more at a bigger school, there's more opportunities to hey yeah go ahead teach, start teaching this, and it you know, becomes more institutionalized. I just have never you know, lived anywhere long enough to have a big school. Someday, after you retire. Yes, yeah, someday. <laughs> <laughs> what is that anyway? I don't know. You're too much of a workaholic, so you'll probably find something else to get you busy with. <laughs> Work on a second doctor. <laughs> <laughs> You'll lose every hair you have on your head for that one. I will. I tell my wife. Okay, so most, who's who's been the single most influential person in your martial arts journey? That's not one of your instructors. Like, not part of your instructor family tree. Uh, so not from not in my line. Uh, or multiple lines, you know. Yeah, have multiple lines, as in, I am not the not below them on the tree somewhere. Right. Um, so I would have to say probably uh, three names pop in mind. Um, my uh, guy, I call my all of which I call my brother, uh, James, uh, James Davis. He's actually the guy running our school. Uh, Fred's, uh, he inherited Fred's school. Um, he's been a you know, brother to me ever since, you know, ever since I had started in that school. Uh, so he is one. He, I, and uh, Roger Bartholomew are three people, the only three people that Fred has ever promoted to fifth degree. And he's just been absolute, uh, absolute support uh, at every turn. And just absolute. <laughs> I keep saying absolute, but I can't think of any better word to describe him. He's just a brother. Um, and then the other two, 
uh, quite frankly, one yourself. Um, and I'm not going to gush too much about that because, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate at that. First, <laughs> at first, I didn't quite know how to take you. I'm pretty sure that yeah, it was mutual and we've, We've worked through some of a lot of our uh, issues earlier on for our uh, our views on the eternal, shall we say? Uh, I don't remember what they were, we, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, <laughs> that we had, we had, we initially had some differing uh, differing philosophies, but we all also always agreed on the importance of one martial arts and two effectiveness, three uh, having quality students. Uh, so that's. Uh, and if it weren't for your input giving me uh, understanding of what the what our climate is like uh, within the Kenpo community, uh, not entirely sure that it would have gotten where yeah, we're at. Um, and can I? I'm going to say Bill Parsons um, because great guy. Even when I wasn't, yeah, absolutely. Even when I wasn't uh, doing the certified instructor piece first, I could call him at any time. You know, he'd absolutely brilliant uh, martial artist amazing teacher and um and then when i started doing the certification for instructor uh i probably learned more from him than omari learned from me uh and it's absolutely fantastic but since he's not directly you know, in my line above me i can count him although i learned more from him than anybody Bill is a font of information and is an absolute stickler to make sure that the details are right. And that's one of the reasons I love him. Yes. He's I'm actually, I, I'm thinking about it, I think he's actually my, my first uh, or oldest or, you know, I don't want to call him old, but, you know, I think he's my, my most long-standing, there's the word I want to use, my, my most long-standing relationship of a friendship that I've had since I joined the IKCA in 2003. So uh, hats off to you, Bill. Wonderful guy. Agreed. So that's uh, it's select company to be put in. I'm honored you put me in there, sir. I was uh, not was not expecting that. So a little bit uh, uh, mealy mouth at the moment. So thanks for that. <laughs> not a problem. Okay. So the most influential people we talked about that one. All right. Let's talk about a couple of the big names. So uh, another one of your favorite questions here. So Bruce Lee, Ed Parker, Jigoro Kano, or Gichin Funakoshi. Who's the? What are the two most influential ones, and why? Ah, so to uh, to my to me, I'm going to say uh, Ed Parker um, because he yeah well he's the father of our uh, the father of our art as we know it. Um, he took what he learned and added a level of scholarship to it on uh, that his skill on the mat. I never had the opportunity. I never got the chance to train with him, um, but I you know, under every single thing I've ever heard of him was just pure power, uh, and that was because he was a magician of movement. He had the ability to just move every system in his body with a perfect synergy to have that maximum effect every single time, and I don't even think he realized how good he was at that. Um, but from you know first you know, firsthand accounts of so many people that have trained with him, that is the uh, that is the only conclusion that a scholar can come to. Uh, but as good as he was physically, he was able to break that down into the uh, smallest constituents and make it a science and uh, gave an entire vocabulary, an entire language, and made it truly an, Amer uh, an American art, uh, which then has spread beyond America, and now it is a world art. Uh, got people in Chile, got people in, uh, in Ireland, all over the world. Uh, IKCA, we have family in, uh, in South Africa, uh, all over the place. It's fantastic. Um, and then the other, personally, I'm going to say uh, probably Gichin Funakoshi, because yeah, his art was the base art that I, uh, I came up in. Um, and brought with uh, martial arts that character uh now i would say that the most influential martial artist to the world today would have been jigoro, uh, jigoro kano uh or kano for a couple of reasons 
the least of which is his skill and ability to spread an art which became a, uh, a staple of Summer Olympics, uh, judo. Amazing skill, gentle art, my ass. If you ever, you know, hit the mat from somebody <laughs> throwing a, you know, a good uh, a Sudagari on you. Uh, but his influence in the martial arts world is seen in every, almost every karate school, taekwondo school uh, across the planet. We're all wearing the same pajamas or pajamas based off of the uniform that uh, he popularized. And that thing around so, the waist that you tie that marks levels. That, that thing, that yeah, too. the, uh, yep, he, yeah, the first to apply the Dan system and the Q system to strips of cloth wrapped around the waist. That, you know, we all, all seem to be so absolutely enamored with. Hey, that's that piece of cloth. As somebody much smarter than me said, yeah, it covers about two inches of your butt. The rest of it's up to you. Well said. Okay, so... <laughs> I like that question because it leads me into my next one. So who's, yeah. your, who's on your Mount Rushmore of the martial arts? Uh, okay. So hmm, Mount Rushmore. So I, I could say that based, based off of being an American icon, uh, Ed Parker, uh, Ed Parker, we just discussed that. Bruce Lee uh, would be up there because of his influence in uh, cinema and spreading, yeah, spreading a love for the arts. Um, Stephen K. Hayes, uh, founder of uh, Toshindo uh, Ninjitsu, um, often credited with bringing, uh, bringing that to America. Fred Vincent, just because he's, you know, he's my martial dad and it's my, yeah, my Mount Rushmore. That's right. Um, and, um, Oh, Master Ken, Master <laughs> Ken, because because he, yeah, an actual skilled martial artist who has taught us to not take ourselves too seriously, um, and I think that's incredibly important. Now I got to see if I can get Master Ken on the podcast. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we went. We talked about the. Uh, significant people that were not instructors. We talked about the Mount Rushmore. We played, you know, who's the two most influential in your career, right? So, right. if you had a completely available schedule, so open opportunity, unlimited funds, whatever you can do, whatever you wanted to do, full support from you know, the family and everything, who would you train with of the currently active martial facilitators? Oh, um. I know that's like perfect world scenario, but you know. Yeah. So it, well, it, it's our interview. We'll we'll make it perfect. Um, and I only get to pick one. No, I said who would you train with? Ah, okay. That can be multiple. Uh, so Dan Inosanto. Um. Absolutely. Yeah. So unlimited, unlimited time and unlimited resources. So Dan yep. Santo on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> I love it. We're going to get a schedule. This is awesome. Uh, Chuck Sullivan and the in-house crew on Mondays. Um, Fred's actually kind of retired, so I won't, yeah, won't add him, but I'll drink with him on Saturday nights. Uh, uh, that leaves you with Wednesday, Friday, and Sundays. Sundays are going to be for family, so uh, – doesn't matter how much support I have from him. Uh, I won't keep it for that long. So Wednesday, so Wednesdays and Fridays. Wednesdays, uh, send me out to Ohio to train under Stephen Hayes. And then Fridays, give me a chance to train with my own students. If, I, if I'm not taking them with me. There you go. Sounds like you're going to have a lot of work to do. Oh, uh, yeah, a lot. That's a lot of different notebooks. Mm-hmm. Hope you got a good video camera for that. iPhone, it's amazing. What do you think has been the most rewarding thing about your journey? The most rewarding thing about my martial arts journey has been the friends and family that I've uh, I've made along the way. Um, when I was down in Florida a couple, uh, almost coming up on a year ago in April, uh, I had the opportunity to link up with the Kempo school down there and 
fantastic people. Um, a couple of years ago, flew out to California and met a whole bunch of you know great people, and you know one that I you know one I hate. Um, for the record, I don't hate Adam, but don't tell him that. Um, Editor's note: delete that. Yeah. So there's, it's got to be, uh, got to be the people, the people that I've met. That the difference between who you are today and who you are a year from now is the books you've read and the people you've met. School has me reading a lot of books, and I love having the opportunity to just get to meet people. All right, fair enough. So if you could meet and talk with anybody from history, <laughs> who would you talk to and why? Oh, and not just martial artists. You can anybody open this up to history. anybody from history. Anybody in history. Um, I would probably really enjoy uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, judo, uh, judo practitioner, cavalry guy, drinker, smoker, and still love doing stuff outdoors with his family. I think I would really enjoy spending time with him. Makes sense to me. I like his hat. Do you want to tell the story about the cavalry hat? Because that thing <laughs> shows up in just about every picture you're in. It really does, which is why I'm glad this is a podcast and not a video you know, cast, because I don't have it with me. It doesn't travel you know, as well on the plane. Um, so anybody that's seen me at any kind of a public event has seen me and my Stetson. It's, it makes me easy to find, and you know, if we part ways and you have to come find me later, I just tell you, I'll be the guy in the hat. Um, so my first, uh, first active duty unit uh, outside of training was 2nd Squadron, 17th Cavalry Regiment, 101st Airborne Division. They're the uh, people that I went to war with for the first time. Now, in the United States Cavalry, uh, we have tradition of wearing the cavalry Stetson. Uh, looks a lot like a cowboy hat. People don't, yeah, don't know. Um, however, and that goes back to history, uh, historic horse cavalry days. Uh, however, you need to earn your right to wear that and earn your right to wear the spurs. And you got to have it broken, broken in right. Uh, well, I had the opportunity to fly in combat. I bought it and took it with me and earned my right to wear it there. And I got to wear it home. Uh, after earning the right to wear it, I wore it with a bunch of stuff. Uh, second trip to Iraq, and I was run uh, had that karate school, but I wasn't going out of the wire. I would sit on my you know, on my front porch, little stupid little trailer they had me on, smoking cigars, wearing my Stetson, going. I used to do cool stuff. I used to do cool stuff, uh, but I still had the Stetson on. I wore it to Iraq, and I wore it back. Third trip to Iraq, I went as a company commander. I wore it there. Uh, about a month and a half after getting there, ended up developing this really, really nasty infection on my brain and in my heart and ended up uh, getting medevaced out immediately. And like everything that I owned, including my ID card, everything was left uh, behind in my hooch. Uh, they had to get me out very, very quickly. It was kind of irritating. Um, so it came back in a box uh, along with the rest of my stuff. And because of the complications of you know, what happened, I ended up having to have open heart surgery, brain surgery, you know, a whole bunch of things. Uh, I was never going to be allowed to fly again because of some of the complications from that. So I was never going to do a CAV mission again. So I took my rank off of it, but I realized that this was an opportunity. So I put it back on my head and uh, started wearing it as a memorial. Uh, I carry around in the band, in the leather band on the inside, a list in a Ziploc bag, because I tend to sweat in that thing, because it's made out of wool, um, a list of all of my friends and soldiers that have came back uh, in the same condition that my hat came back in a box. So when you see that hat at a seminar or on a video or uh, out and about, if it's on my head, you're not just seeing a cool hat, although it's a cool hat. You're also seeing a memorial to uh, to fallen soldiers. Importantly enough, the ones that you served with. No, ones I served with, and uh, several that were some of my close friends. I've had the uh, had the opportunity to visit their grave sites uh, along the years. There's still a few on that list that I haven't made it to yet, but the list has their name, where they died, and where they're buried.
for the uh, first time you told me that story. And um, thank you for sharing it here on in the public venue because that's a wonderful story and it's a wonderful tribute. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So let's do a lighthearted uh, switch gears here just for a second. So just for fun, Cowboy Ninja Pirate. Uh, well, since I get to be a cowboy all the time, I like being a pirate. Of course, I get seasick, so I wouldn't do that very long. Well, why is the rum always gone? Uh, that's, that's a very important question. Yeah, the, the rum is gone because of Adam, because I drink bourbon. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, that's a good question, too. <laughs> <laughs> I want to wrap up just a little bit here. So you're, you're working through your PhD. You're out in Hawaii currently working through planning for military exercises. You have two beautiful children. You have a beautiful wife who's, who's been just a rock for you this entire time I've known you. I've only, gotten, I've only gotten a chance to speak with her a couple of times, but she's been nothing but a sweetheart every time. So... Sam, hats off. Thank you for allowing me to spend as much time with your husband as I do. She, and she, uh, I don't know how a 29-year-old like her deals with, you know, with an older man like me. Uh, eventually, uh, now she's she was 29 last year. She's going to be 29 this year, and she'll be 29 until we've been married for 29 years, and it just starts getting creepy. Uh, she hasn't aged a day since I met her. I haven't figured out exactly Maybe. how she does that yet, but, you know. I I think honestly she's a reincarnated uh, reincarnated serial killer and she's uh, just really sleeping off her sins. Uh, I'm gonna leave that one alone. So <laughs> <laughs> it's much safer for me if I leave that one alone. So what message? Uh, your kids are now getting to the age where they can start understanding the more complex uh, concepts in life. So at some point they're gonna hear Daddy appearing on this podcast. I hope. What message would you like them to hear from you? Hmm. Well, uh, a couple things that I yeah that I say that they they hear all the time. Uh, it's our family motto uh, to always live the stories worth telling. Um, to treat other people well, treat them better than you deserve, and far better than you think they deserve. Um, Try this a little bit harder. Go ahead, do it again, and remember what my great grandpa Bert said: "A little bit don't hurt." <laughs> I could get taken a whole lot of different ways, so I'm, I'm uh, hoping but, your kids. Well, actually, I take that back. I know for a fact, given their parents, you've already taught them the right way to think about that stuff. So, yes, good advice for the kids. I try to corrupt my son at every opportunity. He keeps on turning me down. Uh, that's because his mom I, yeah, is, being, is in the other ear. <laughs> because, because he's smarter than I am. Uh, so my daughter, because uh, I'll give the plug here, and I say this in front of them too, my daughter is absolutely perfect. My son is exactly like me, which is why I can't say he's perfect. Uh, she, uh, she, the daughter, is yeah, looks like me and has my eyes and acts like yeah her mom and he is exactly like me but has his mom's eyes so that's a dangerous combination you you know it <laughs> you're gonna have a fun time <laughs> in a few years oh <laughs> uh, yeah uh, so recently uh, and you can judge my parenting uh, the listeners can judge my parenting for what they you know, what it is my son's 13 my daughter's nine and i just recently introduced him to the kill bill movies um because I'm also a biker, and the kids are around, yeah, around language, so they they know what's appropriate to say and what's not appropriate. And because the movie was so incredibly, uh, almost comically gratuitous with the blood, it was clearly fake, so there wasn't any problem. But my daughter absolutely loved it, and now I call her kiddo because she's quite dangerous. All right, fair enough. So I got to ask, uh, what are you writing these days? When you actually have you know the time uh, in your life to get out on the road. When I when I have the time, I'm on a 2009 Frank and Dinah wide bob, which you know, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> is a 2009 Frank and Dinah wide bob. So that it started out when I bought it in 2009 as a street bob, it's a FXDB. Uh, had a couple yeah, a couple things happen. Had somebody pull out in front of me. Uh, 
making a left turn and ended up putting it down and damaging up pretty good. Uh, scraped up the scraped up the paint, uh, but only a little bit because it was custom paint. They were going to replace it. Uh, I told them just put a clear coat on it. I like the scar, but they gave me like twelve hundred dollars just for the tank because they had no idea what it was going to cost to replace it. Um, so I in, I took that insurance money and the other bit of it, and when I told them to fix the bike, said, "Hey, put a wide glide front end on it. I want this raked out a little bit more." So it now has is a street bob from the tank back. It's a wide glide from the forks forward. It's got uh, apes, custom paint, and instead of a 96 cubic inch, it's 103. Okay, I get the name now. Yep, Frank and Dinah. That's, uh, that's got to be a couple of interesting looks as you're riding by, when, and then you have to explain that when you stop. It, it makes a good story. It does. I'm glad you told it on the podcast. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> I've seen the paint job once or twice, but you know now I actually understand why it looks the way it does, so it makes sense. Yeah. So wrapping up here, let me ask one final question. What does your future hold in your martial career? Uh, that's, uh, that is the same question I've been asking myself because I found out I'm recently going to be, uh, I will be moving uh, Army PCSing me. I don't know where I'm going, uh, but it's around this time that I always say, all right, do I keep focusing on what I'm currently doing? Do I find something new and start working on that? Um, and I think uh, now that I've now that I've become a certified instructor, finding students is always hard, but it's always worth it. Um, I'm pretty sure I will uh, continue working on what I have. Uh, recently, yeah, you you've actually had the opportunity to read it. Uh, a set up a framework for expansion of understanding of techniques and application of techniques that goes into yeah, that thing that I taught at that seminar. Um, and as it continues to get deeper and deeper, the work that needs to go into making that happen, I've got a lesson plan you know, now for myself and my students to go all the way to the second Thursday in October uh, 2317. So it'll take a long time to get through all that stuff. So I guess I better get started on it. Yeah, it's uh, going to take you a little while to generate all those lesson plans too. So, you know, at least you got some time though, right? Yeah. I mean, the, so I guess the short answer is I'm going to try to get good at what I'm doing. Yeah, if we can all just get good at what we're doing and uh, pick up a few tidbits here and there, we're going to make the martial arts community that much better along the way. I hope that's the case. All right, so thank you very much, Mr. Wiley. We've been talking now for a, just over an hour. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you have a ton of things on your plate between everything else you got going on. Uh, Mr. Wiley, veteran of our U.S. military, thank you again for, our ser for your service. Uh, martial artist of a uh, very solid level in multiple different styles and systems. Uh, and personally, I call him one of my brothers in the arts. So I'm very thankful to have your time for this, and thank you for appearing on our show. Uh, what message would you like to leave for our audience, sir? Uh, Steve, thank you, uh, thank you very much for uh, just giving me the opportunity. It's, uh, it's been, I love talking anyway, and I know that we're gonna, yeah, we'll end up talking sometime tomorrow too, I'm sure. Uh, but to anybody else uh, out there listening, since I have the the opportunity, um, the simple fact is we need to we live in an ugly world these days you watch the news you watch how, uh, how people talk to each other um you, you can't stop it you can't make it go away and you're not going to ever save the world so don't don't bother trying to save the world try saving one at a time uh, take care of one at a time make your little corner you know, better and you can do that by helping out and making yourself just a little bit better. Make yourself a little bit happier. Um, I would tell you to smile, but you know, just not when the camera's around, because I don't smile when the camera's around either. Uh, watch after each other. Um, the people that are going to be there will not leave you, and the people that aren't going to be there are already gone. So don't worry about them. Time doesn't exist. Uh, and you know what? Go ahead. Your wife called, buy the bike, and eat the cake. Uh, keep moving forward. That's about it. Thanks again, Chris. I, I, I'm just absolutely wonderful and happy that we can have this podcast today. So 
I'm going to let you go for your night. I know you got stuff you got to get done, but thank you again for taking the time with me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. We're going to have to do a part two at some point. Sounds good. All right. Have a good one. You too. Well, there you have it, people. I always enjoy talking with my buddy AC. Uh, these days we communicate much more frequently via text or group me than we do over the phone. He's busy, I'm busy, but the bottom line is we got him on the show while he was in Hawaii and actually behind me in the time zones for once. Big thanks to you AC, thank you for coming on the show and I appreciate you sharing the wisdom you've gained over the last 20 plus years of your training. Episode number 5 is going to feature another one of my buddies, Dr. Dave Crouch. He's been in the martial arts and has trained in garages, backyards, schools, and parking lots, you know, depending on who, what, where over his career. He's also a master NLP trainer. What's NLP? Tune in next episode and find out, as well as hearing how that applies to martial studies or even in your personal life. Dr. Crouch is one of those classic overachievers who spends his days at this point in his life working hard to provide opportunities for people to live their lives better through various personal improvement methods. All right, wrapping up here, so find us at artistsofmotion.com. If you want a quick link, you can subscribe to us on iTunes by going to www.artistsofmotion.com slash iTunes. Leave us a rating and a comment or two. That'd be greatly assistant for us. You can also get us on Google Play if you've got an Android. It's www.artistsofmotion.com slash Google Play. Again, leave us a rating or a comment. You can find us on our Facebook page, Artists of Motion. You can send us an email to pod at artistsofmotion.com and tell us who you'd like to hear from. Tell us what you liked or disliked. Tell us how we can improve. Feedback is how we're going to make this show better. I think that's about it for this one. I'm Steve Zalazowski. Catch you next time on the Artist of Motion podcast.